0: Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close. Still short. Blaubanga. Oh, Big ten, he got There he is! He's over!
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where two diehard rugby fans, actually three tonight, having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Now, we are super excited to be here on this new platform, this new method of bringing this rugby news and content towards or to your ears and eyes and faces tonight. But the great thing is we are joined by our good friend, Mitch Rev Evans. How are you
2: tonight, Rev? I feel like a huge weight has been lifted because uh, trans Tasman might not have been everything it's cracked up to be, but the Wallabies uh, squad is out and it just looks um, like a perfect reward for sitting through all those rugby matches, just seeing those names and getting a chance to talk about them. So, very excited. And that will be the focus of tonight's episode. So, there are a few things we're going to track through.
1: But before I get to talking about kind of who we are, what we're doing tonight, Mitch, can you take us through our social platforms?
0: All right. So, we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive rugby. We're on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. And we're also on Twitter at, at pick underscore drive rugby. Thanks,
1: mate. Now, I'm loving the fact that we already have a couple of people that have tuned in. So, thank you to our dear listeners who are involved or our viewers who are watching us now. Viewers now. Um viewers how good is that so throughout the episode we're going to be tracking through the wallaby squad announcement talking about some of the big in to big outs who might be on the injury ward that should have been in the squad and has been left out so please leave your comments via whatever platform you are accessing us from and we'll try and get to them throughout the pod but before we do that we have the all-important Super Bowl Trans-Tasman tipping competition that we need to give a quick update on Mitch again can you quickly take us through that
0: all right, so round five, we have Liquor Box who took out the round with the yellow cap on nine point two five points. Fo- closely followed by Digger and then Dead Set Dingo, both on eight points. And third spot was sh- shared by three people this week. Ando, you were on seven point seven five points. <laughs> oh yeah, with Hoagie and Jumping Tim Slim. So. It's getting tied up the top there. Ando mistakenly thought that it was the end this week, but we do have a final. (laughs) So we won't announce this week who's taking it all out. But next week, you'll have to stay tuned because we do
1: have the Trans-Tasman final. Which will be super exciting. And uh, just looking at the overall positions, I'm currently sitting in seventh, which I'm way too proud about. Uh, Mitch, again, remind me, where are
0: you? 44th, I think, at last (laughs) last check. fifty. 54, I think. Yeah, 54. not on the okay. bottom, but yeah. holding the table okay. up, someone's got to do not
1: it. Not on the bottom. Okay, cool. Well, tonight, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing on the Wallabies announcement, which happened at 30 today, and it was pretty enjoyable. Were you guys able to catch it live? Uh, Rev, did you see it live, or did you catch up on it later in the day?
2: Uh, I did get it live. I was um, just actually walking uh, my wife and dog out to uh, get picked up. Uh, she was going to a party, and I was like, it's going to start soon. I'd better have it on my phone ready to go. So I'm sort of walking the dog, phone in one hand, just watching the stand stream. And I'm really impressed with how it came out. I'm sure uh, you'll discuss what they did that uh, was quite different this year. But I'm um, really impressed with uh, how they did it and just the whole stand package for it.
1: Yeah. And I think we might move on to that to begin with. So, Mitch, I know that you had a pretty busy day today, mate. Were you able to actually see the announcement video in the way that they got all the different players' name? Well, actually, not all. And that's an interesting point that we might touch on as well. But a lot of the players' names announced?
0: Yeah. So, I didn't get to watch it live, but I was out for lunch um, and a bit of an afternoon activity, which was fun, but got home and got straight on to Stan Sports and watched The replay and I was really impressed. It was really cool that they had like a little video that they had gone around to different community rugby games and uh, different just schools and things and they got fans to actually announce the team which was pretty cool. It was a little bit unusual how they did it though because there were some big names there that were inclusions that weren't actually spoken. They were just on the screen which I thought would have been something you would have highlighted but maybe they were late inclusions. I don't know. Yeah and that's a
1: big part of the uh, thing. A few people have pointed out um, that if your name wasn't announced by one of the fans, does that mean that you weren't actually in the thoughts of the coaching staff until the last minute? And so does it mean you're not actually considered central and a key part of the squad known well in advance? So that's that's a really interesting point that's been uh, nutted out. I reckon that Stan, next time that they'll do this, if, the, if they do try and reprise it again, they'll just have like every Australian rugby player's name just read out by a fan so then they can just mash the food footage in from anywhere they need to. <laughs>
0: um,
1: a couple of my students were actually called out in the Eastwood um They were were training with Eastwood. And so one of the boys that gets lifted up in the line out is one of my students. And another guy that's packing the scrum in Eastwood Colours was one of my students as well. So that was pretty cool. I can't wait to have a chat with them on Tuesday when we're back at school. But (laughs) regardless, let's actually get into things now. So we are going to... And you know what? Let's jump over it this way. Let's get into and have a look at your Wallaby squad. So here was the official announcement that has gone through with all the information here of the different players. Um, there were a couple of really, really big players who were not included. So let's just start off with the biggest outs. Rev, who do you think is
2: the unlucky, most unlucky person to not be in this squad? It's pretty hard to single it down to one person. Um, I was looking through the list and obviously we had a few players that were out for different reasons and I thought, um, given there wasn't the inclusion of Pete Samu, who is already a big loss, I thought for sure one of the best fits for that spot would be Liam Wright, uh, obviously captaining the Reds. He uh, had a bit of time off with injury, but his comeback is really solid at six and at seven, has leadership uh, capabilities, and he's already got five tests to his name, which, while it's not a lot, it is quite a decent chunk compared to some of the other back robbers. Um, so I was pretty surprised to see that he wasn't included. I'll, I'll leave him as the biggest out. I'll let... Uh, Mitch discuss his biggest out because there's a few players that um, probably should have got a look in.
0: Yeah, so I, I was surprised that Liam Wright wasn't selected there and I guess we'll talk about it when we go our biggest ins, but I think Michael Wells snuck in and stole the spot plate that Liam Wright had and I do wonder if that comes down to the versatility that Michael Wells brings being able to pack down at 6, 7 and 8 where Liam Wright doesn't really fit the sort of 8 mould, um, but we can talk that a little bit later. I guess outside of that, um, biggest out for me Pete Samu was a big one, but we kind of expected that with the injury ward that he's not playing at the moment. Um, Fainga, I thought, was a big one that was surprising. Fainga and Alex Murphy, both of those players, I thought one of them would have got included in this extended squad, um, and both of them not being in there is big for me.
1: Uh, looking at the hooker situation, it is pretty interesting to see the difficulties that a lot of people well, the the, um, the coaches seem to have had in picking somebody. We were even considering that Dave Parecki might be a bit of a bolter to get into the squad, but he again hasn't hasn't made it and hasn't got in, mostly because of the ankle injury I think that he picked up what, last week. And yeah. so there's been some really helpful um, information where the players have been grouped according to their positions, which I'm just going to jump to now. So right here, hopefully you can see it, and it's easy enough for people to check out. But basically, we've got the props. Alan Alatoa, Angus Bell, Pony Farm, Silly, Scotty Co, James Slipper, and Taniella Tupo. So let's start with them. How do we feel about them being the six, six, six 6 props for
2: the Wallabies Rev? Um, My first thought with this was when I was putting together my 38-man squad before the um, squad got announced, I thought they'd definitely go for more than six props because it's quite a lot of um, action, you know, over 11 days to have three test matches. It's a lot of work for the front rowers. Um, From this six, I'm pretty happy with five of them. I do think Pony Farmer Sule is quite lucky to be in there. Um, He hasn't played much of the Trans-Tasman, if any of it, because he had the the band that saw uh, the end of AU come across to Trans-Tasman and then whatever reason, he just hasn't been getting picked for the Rebels. They've been opting for Eloff and uh, Van Neck. So I would have thought either they'd go for Harry Johnson Holmes, who's a pretty established scrummager and definitely a big work rate player, or even another loose head in Tom Robertson, because he's yeah. played, I think, five test matches at tight head as well. He's, he's capable of going on both sides. Um, but Both slightly more experienced than Pony. So I guess they're looking at him as a development player and they want that extra bulk, but he's probably the only one that's a, a little bit of a shock.
1: I was a bit surprised to see Scotty CO in there. I don't think his form for the Brumbies has been particularly strong this year. It's been partially hampered by injury. And I just don't think he's been as effective in a scrum as Wolby's prop of his experience in my mind should have been. Great guy, great player, uh, but not performing at the standards that we would expect of him. Mitch, did you were you surprised to see Scotty CO in the squad? Or were you yeah, Yeah, I was surprised.
0: I was surprised that Sia was in. I thought maybe Harry Johnson-Holmes might have been that inclusion, being that he was in the squad, uh, the 40-man squad earlier in the year, and he didn't make it through. Now, I wonder if that comes down to some work-ons that he was asked to work on and maybe didn't quite meet that criteria in the last few weeks. But he has been playing big minutes for the Waratahs too, so it is a little bit puzzling there. One of the things that Dave Rennie has highlighted around this squad and I think it will be important to bring it up now as we move through starting at the props, is that he has picked players on their potential, not just their form. And I think that's why he has brought in a player like Scott Seo um, and even potentially Angus Bell and Pony, because he's he knows what they can do and he's hoping to get them into the system, get them trained up and, and then improve on the performance that they're currently putting out in Super Rugby, Trans-Tasman building into, I guess, later in the year.
1: Rev, you're starting two props, and let's go your starting hooker as well, and then that'll transition us into the hooker chat.
2: Uh, I think for the front row, we just want experience and size. So I'd still go slipper uh, Brennan Pangaramosa and Talian Lotupo as my starting front row. I think uh, I, I always had Lottupo above him, but I just think Tupo's in such good form. He's such a big unit, um, and they really do want to combat this French side with you know th- that size in the set piece. So I think he might give a look in. Mitch?
0: I'd be starting uh, Taniel Atupo at three and Alan Alatoa. Now, if we go into the hookers, I'd probably be starting Brandon Pengramosa, particularly for that first test against France.
1: Yeah, and that's the... Interesting one, the BPA heading overseas at the end of the year. There was a lot of questions about whether or not he would actually be a part of the squad. And he obviously has been picked. So, I think for him, they've gone in terms of experience. Now, a really interesting person who's got into that hooker position is uh, Lockie Noss Lonergan. He has had a bit of a breakout season so far in Super Rugby, AU, and Trans-Tasman as well. By no means is he the finished product, but he is someone I'd argue is more of a development player, but we'll almost definitely see minutes considering we have three games in 10 days coming up quite soon. Now, Feliti Kaitu, I rate him highly in every aspect of his game except his line-out throwing. So I wonder if that is going to be a bit of a liability on the international stage but regardless i think he's it's well deserved that he at the very least is in that squad and considering there's only three hookers he will get game time so that is an awesome inclusion from for him why don't we shift now into the second rowers so there are only four picked within the squad uh we might speak to that a little bit later when we look at some of the loose forwards but you have matt phillip lucan salakaya loto darcy swain and Sitaleki tamani Sidalecki Tamani coming back in. When was his last game? 2011? Was that the stat that I heard? Uh, 2013, I think was 13. his last 13. test. Yeah. 13. Brilliant. So we've yeah, got. I saw foot.
0: something today that said it was like 2,761 days since he's played for the Wallabies. I'm uh, getting I sick know. of the day counts. I just want the years. <laughs> I, 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 they're doing days for everything. You're a maths teacher,
2: though. Can't you convert that by 365? What's the minutes? Easily? Yeah, what's the minutes for that and the seconds? <laughs> it's That's asking way okay. too much time. Times it by 1440. I don't know what that is off the top of my head, but it's a lot.
1: <laughs> come on, mate. You're you're a human calculator. You should be able to do this. Um, now, Matt Phillip has come back from playing in with Pau in France and has rejoined the Wallabies straight away. Now, he was at the top of his game when he left for the one-year contract, and I'm super excited to have him back in Australian rugby, and I think it is deserved. I just wonder if we'll see him in the first match or if we might actually see the Lukan Salakayloto and Sidalecki-Tamani combination to start off with. Mitch, who do you think would be starting for the Wallabies if you had the choice to choose?
0: If I'm choosing, uh, I'd be going with Lukan Salakayloto and Sidalecki-Tamani, just as you said, Endo. I just yep. don't think Matt Phillips is going to be quite ready to go just yet, particularly first test. I think we might, we might not even see him in these French series. We might see him later on in the rugby championships later in the year. Yep.
1: Rev?
2: Um, I actually would go the same locks, and for a similar reason. I just think Philip started all the tests for us um, last year under Rennie, so obviously Rennie does like him. Uh, but just not having played um, with the Australians uh, doesn't have that same sort of connection with the players. Plus, Siddalliki Tamani, I don't see him really as an impact player. He doesn't have um, a, a lot of energy or you know quick legs. He's just a hard-working forward. So I'd probably rather start uh, Tamani and then sub him off for Philip You know after 50 minutes or so. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's a really good call. And I think one one great thing that's a comment that's come in from Bastard Cheap is there's only six front rowers and four second row. So there's not much room for injuries, which I think just means that we're going to have a significant level of um if players are injured, we'll just call them into the squad. I mean, that actually leads in really well. What we might transition to now is just some of the questions around the injuries that we have within the squad. So, we have Jake Gordon that's been picked. We have... Um, who else was picked? Is that yeah, Izzy Parisi as well. Dis- supposedly dislocated his shoulder last night for the Waratahs. Um, Jake Worsfold left the week. field
0: last night as well with a bit of a limp and went straight up the tunnel. So mm. I haven't heard anything today around what has happened there. And but Lockie Swinton well.
1: copped a red card too, and we still have We obviously haven't heard from the judiciary yet. So it's quite likely that he'll miss a minimum of three matches, which mm. takes him out for the fronts series. So. Let's just make the assumption. Let's go through those one by one and say that they're injured and who do you replace them with? So, Rev, starting off with Jake Gordon. He's out.
2: Who's your replacement? Well, the great news is he's already been filled in by um, the pick-and-drive favourite player, the golden <laughs> son, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the the golden child, Ryan Lonigan. He's already um, in the squad as a backup uh, for the injury, which is great news because he's... Yeah, he's just got a really a nice little passing game. He's a great kicker, obviously, um, from box kick, but especially off the tee. Um, and he's young and exciting. So I think it really was between him and Joe Powell. And Joe Powell's obviously, is 27 now, and he hasn't really been given much of a chance. So I think it's um, you know time to sort of build for the future. Which is pretty harsh
1: on a 27-year-old quality player in Joe Powell. But I also yeah. hear what you're saying with that. Um, Mitch, let's move it down to you and say, you're needing to replace Lockie Swinton. Who do you replace him with?
0: Uh, who do I bring in number six? Probably Fergus Lee Warner. Yeah, cool. From the Western Force, I think he was a big one that uh, missed like, uh, in terms of players that didn't make the cut, he was probably right on the the edge there. And I think he's probably one of the players that's been told to to wait and see and is probably the player that will be called in if there is injuries, particularly in in the second or back row.
1: Yep. Good call. I was thinking that as well. There's a part of me that really wants Liam Wright to be in the squad because I think he is a very quality player. But if you're looking for more of a like-for-like replacement, then Fergus Lee Warner is more of that kind of hard-edged defensive kind of enforcer that Rennie seems to be looking for. Uh, And who else were we mentioning? Remind me again. um, Parisi. 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 Parisi, thank you. So, I mean, for that one, that's a pretty tough. There's not many other players in Australian rugby who are similar to him. Rev, who would you be replacing him with?
2: Well, the toughest thing is his replacement, someone that would have been in the squad would be Pattaya, but he's obviously injured as well. I think the only other 13 you'd probably look at, and it's not really a like-for-like, is Kyle Godwin. Um, He's been really dominant for the force since going back, I think, in He's just got that nice mix. He's a good squad player because he can play 12 and 13. He's even played a bit of 10 as well. Um, but he's actually shown that he's got a bit more of a running game. He used to be thought of as a bit of a playmaker, but he's, he's really broken through quite a lot of uh, tackles and uh, even a few line breaks this season. So I, I'd probably be looking at him if uh, Paris is out. Fair enough. Okay, let's continue with
1: our look at the various positions, and let's head across now to the loose forwards. So you got Michael Hooper, Rob Leota, Fraser McRae, Izzy Nasirani, Lockie Swinton, Rob Valentini, Michael Wells, and Harry Wilson. Now, for me, I just want to start off with the Michael Hooper thing, okay? Because there are a lot of people that are claiming that that continue to claim that Michael Ho- Hooper is a waste of space, that he should not be included within this conversation. And yet again, he has been picked up as the captain, no less of the Wallabies. So Mitch, what do you think on this front? Are Dave Rennie and the selectors completely out of their minds? Or does the random punter on Facebook really know what's going on here with the quality of Michael Hooper?
0: I will say one thing. I was very impressed with Michael Hooper's performance in the announcement today. He seems like he's been completely rejuvenated. This break to go and play in Japan is exactly what I think he needed. If we had seen Michael Hooper stay in Australia and play for the Tars, captain them through or led them through the season that the Waratahs have had, I think we would have a completely different Hooper sitting there. He would probably be more shut down, less open. He just seemed similar to sort of James O'Connor now that he's back. He just had this new lease on life. He was relaxed. He w- was really sort of sure about what he was saying. And it just seems like a weight's been taken off his shoulders. So, I don't know if we'll actually see Michael Hooper first test against France. And I, I don't know. I personally wouldn't be selecting him to start. I might be going with Fraser McRae in that seventh spot. And maybe easing Hooper in in the second or third test, but um, I, I the way he was answering the questions, the way he was talking about the intent, the way the Wallabies are going to move forward, talking about the direction they want to go in in this new uh, this new year, the the competition they're coming up against, I was I I think he's the best option at, at the moment. He spoke very well, and I was really impressed with him.
1: Yeah, and if we look back at his form for Super Rugby AU and for the Wallabies over the last, say, 24 months, he has, as Barster Cheap says, been an absolute workhorse. He is without a doubt the engine room of the Australian team in terms of work rate. And whilst we may criticise him in terms of decisions on the field to take points or go for the corner or whatever, those, those leadership-based decisions can be questioned, if, I don't believe you can question his rugby ability He may not offer what we might expect from, say, a traditional number seven, if that's what we're looking for. But the difference in rugby over the last few years within the back row combinations is that you don't need an out-and-out fetcher for number seven if you have that balance across either the back row or the broader squad itself. We know that BPA is incredibly strong over the ball, so having him as a starting hooker could negate some of the lack of um, on-ball threat that Hooper can sometimes offer. But let's continue on with some of the back row chat now. And, Rev, I just wanted to ask you, in terms of Rob Leota, I have not... Been particularly glowing in my praise for mm. Rob Leota. Uh, can, am I wrong? Is there something that other people see? Well, obviously, there's something that other people see within him. Like, what what is he bringing to this squad, and how did he make
2: this 38? Well, I think the thing that Leota's got going for him is work rate. And when Renny's looking for this dark side that he wants to bring, and you know, he wants players to have this energy and they're ready to go. Um, Leota got canned so much at the start of the season because they were playing him at lock and. To be fair, he's, you know, 190 centimetres tall. He's 110 kilos. He did an admirable job, uh, but he didn't have really the, the physique or the work rate for a lock. Um, the times he's played in the back row, he's been pretty solid. So this is where it gets really interesting for the Wallabies and having Leota in there is when they were announcing the teams, I noticed they were going through not just by position, but actually they did the loose heads first, then the hookers, then the tight heads. They're actually going by jersey numbers. And Leota was sort of – he was the last lock slash first back row were named. So whether they're looking at him as a lock or a six is pretty interesting. But for me, I just given the French side, I think he's got to be a six and I frankly wouldn't be giving him a, a test cap this series. I think he's a good development player, but he's heading overseas and he hasn't really done enough, as you say, Ando. He's he's been solid and he's got high work rate, but we've got, you know, twenty other players that do that. Yep. Yep.
1: Good call. Uh, I think the other interesting person is Michael Wells within this, too. Um, He's somebody that has had a good season, hasn't, in my mind, been a huge standout, but obviously there's something that the Wobbies are looking for. Now, Rev, I see you shaking your head there, mate. What do you, what, what, talk to me, interrupt me, tell me that I'm wrong.
2: No, he, he is the player. I'm I'm shaking my head that he's in the squad. He's the one Uh, player that I think he, shouldn't be near it and he seems like a nice enough guy He's 28 his experience and that's what they want uh rennie said he wants players that are ready to go uh, he's got more experience than pretty much every other uh, uncapped option but i just think when you are also building for the future i don't think it's worthwhile having him in here just because he's versatile and he's quick we've seen him have like a few nice tries because he's you know been on the end of a nice play i don't think he get that many opportunities to do that at test rugby so to see um you know wells getting the spot in there over someone like liam wright over fergus lee warner Even over a younger option like Josh Kemeny or Angus Scott Young just doesn't, you know, fill me with a lot of confidence. So um, he is not in any of the squads that I've named for those three days. I'm happy to just see him in the squad helping out and not getting gamed on. I think he's the biggest dark horse of this whole list, isn't he? Absolutely.
0: He would have been the person, him and maybe Andrew Kellaway, that when his phone rang this morning would have been the most surprised.
1: Yeah, see, for me, it's Rob Leota that would, is the biggest um, is the biggest bolter within it. Just because at least Michael Wells was in a previous Pony squad that they'd put out, and Rob Leota was not in that at all. And to me, hasn't stood out that much to deserve the Wallabies call up. Now, good on him. Okay, hope he makes a good good effort of it. But I just I was really surprised to see him in there. Now. Let's continue on and actually get into the backs where the games are won and lost, obviously, within Rugby Union. And <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's start off in the halfbacks. So you've got Jake Gordon... Knee Lockie Lonegan, uh, Ryan Lonegan, sorry, not Lockie Lonegan, and Tate McDermott and Nick White. So Nick White is obviously the kind of uh, main option there. He'll be starting the majority of the games, you would think. Um, but we also have Tate McDermott, his heir-, heir apparent, and then Ryan Lonegan is in for Jacob Gordon. Any surprises there, boys? Any Anybody you think should have made the cut that didn't? I think that's pretty much that it, isn't
0: it? Yeah, that's it for the players. And really, as um, Rev said before, when you look at a player who we bring in, Outside of that, there's a bit of a golf there, isn't there? Ryan Lonergan is the person who slits into the squad if uh, Jake Gordon's not playing. But outside of that, there's a fair bit of talent that's missing to really be pushing for Wallaby
1: selection. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's shift in into the 5.8s, and you have Noah Lulasiu and James O'Connor as well. Now, we had a good shout-out for Jock to be the captain of the Wallabies if Hooper is not starting the match or goes off as a sub. Actually, he'll play a full game if he's he's on the field. But either way, uh, I think that that's probably the form combination from all the teams. I don't really see any... Anybody else that should have taken those positions? If you are looking at their performances over the entirety of the Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Trans Tasman, Rev any any changes there, or are you pretty happy with those two?
2: Yeah, really happy with those. two. I think they are the standards. They've got you know the incumbent and the future. So I think if we're putting our eggs in those baskets, I think that makes a lot of sense for building up for both this year in the Rugby World Cup.
1: Yep, I agree with that. And uh, we have a good comment here from Bastard Sheep again. He's just getting involved. Even if Hooper starts, jock for decisions. Uh, Fair enough. And I think that one of the things that we noticed with the Waratahs when we were watching them last season before Hooper went off overseas was the fact that um, he leads by example. He's not always the one that's communicating to the team. And so I'd love to see somebody come on, even as a co-captain, someone like James O'Connor who can seems to have had a bit more nous in terms of game management and being able to direct the team around looking at the scoreboard what they think they're capable of like some of the reds come from behind victories particularly against the brumbies in a regular super au season were incredibly well done and a large part of that came down to jock's um guidance that he came in and now i really do just need to point out nelson nelson h dale thank you we we (laughs) tried to dress up um and get our hair done. I know it's still growing back, but thank you very much for, for the kind comments, my friend. You can come on next week. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so let's keep on rolling now into the centres. The the One of the backline bolters, Lalakai Fekedi, makes the squad. Don't think anybody really saw that one coming. Len tell Hunter Paisami, Izzy Parisi, and Matt Tuamua. So let's start off with Fekedi. Mitch, what?
0: I love this comment from Jason, and I just got to put it out there because I'm exactly the same. He's mad that there's more Waratahs in his squad than fours, <laughs> and how he got the call up over Kyle Godwin or Ira Simone from the Brumbies is just puzzling to me. I mean, he's had some good moments in the last few weeks, but I don't think he's pushing anyone to be starting twelve. Yeah, that's a big call, cool. Rev. What do you think?
2: But yeah, it's just it's interesting, especially with you know Godwin got that one cap. Back in 2016, but he's you know a bit more experienced. He's been overseas and played a bit more footy over there. Uh, Simone, they gave him two caps last year, and he's a year younger. Like it does seem like he's building for something. Plus, he's been in a side that's winning. Like faketty hasn't done enough to obviously um, overhaul results for the Waratahs, which even though they can't pin it all on one player, you've seen Simone make those line breaks and some really damaging carries and some smart kicks. I just it is surprising. I think Faketi is one of the players that you know is a bit of a surprise in there, but at the same time. I do think he's been playing quite well. Um, the partnership he has with Parisi is pretty damaging and it's something that I think the Tars have as one of the big assets for next year. So uh, it's a shame that Parisi is injured because it could have been interesting to see those two form maybe a partnership in the Tuesday test, um, yeah. you know, when they're naming perhaps not their strongest side. So uh, I'm happy to see him get a crack. I just, I do agree. I think it's a bit odd though. I just wonder I, if um, the French I French theory actually going name- to I'll I'll
1: go in and you jump in. Um, I just wonder if they're going to name the French are going to name their stronger side in the second match, and so I wonder if we might actually name a bit more of say an an experimental team in the first game and actually save our A team for the second match. I'm not sure, but Mitch, sorry mate, I cut you off.
0: Oh, I just have a theory that Dave Rennie's choosing him on potential, and he sees something in his game, maybe his ability to break the line, similar to Parisi, that he wants to bring him into an environment where he's going to be around players who are also a step higher than the Waratahs this season, and give him extra game time, give him a little bit extra support, maybe work on some of those little nuances of that spot, his kicking game, his ability to break the line, get the offload, that kind of thing, maybe even his defensive work. And he's hoping that by bringing him into this squad, he will develop because the Taz season has just been hopeless, as we all know. And I don't think there's been a whole lot of improvement for a lot of the Waratahs players this year. So maybe he's one of the the players who gets pulled into this squad on the potential that he will improve his game.
1: And I think, to be fair, he and Parisi, like you said, were actually one of the bright spots of a horrific Waratahs season. And the combination they had in midfield is really effective and really strong. And I think that if they were able to replicate that combination on the international stage, then it could have been something worth trying. But with Parisi's injury now, I just don't think that Fichetti gets a look in. Because if he doesn't have that combination and that continuity with the player outside of him, then I don't see him being... I don't see his spot in the starting team worth it in my mind. Yeah. Rev?
2: Well, yeah, I think the, the challenge for him is he's probably going to have to get game time if Parisi is not there. But looking at the centres, they're kind of lucky that they've got Tamil that can shift back there because he's been playing yeah. a lot of the season at fly half. You take him out of the equation, Paisami's got six caps, and then Fikedi, Parisi, and Iketel are all uncapped. So no matter what way we shake it or you know put it together, we're going to have a very inexperienced backline. Um, and I was really pro having like Paisami inside centre and then maybe a you know, Parisi or Iketao 13. But the more I look at the back line, I think the more Tamu is going to have a role to play in this French series. Just we, we need some experience back there as much as his form doesn't deserve it. And that leads us to a really good question
1: from Jason Sherman asking, well, stating, I reckon Tamu is very lucky to be in a squad. That wasn't a question, Jason. No question, Mark, thank <laughs> you. But regardless of that grammatical error, I, I fully agree. His form over the last... um month has been dismal and we've spoken about it on our pod before to the effect of he has been the Melbourne rebels for the entire season Mm. everything has had to go through him and not because of greed or anything like that but because of a lack of quality inside and out the injury list that they've had has been pretty horrific. And so I think he is picked because of his, his experience. If you look at, like you were saying, the rest of the um, centres, they're, they're really not that experienced. You need someone like Matt tu- Tuamua to be in there. But let's shift across now to the outside backs. And you have Tom Banks, Filippo Donguni, Reese Hodge, Andrew Kelleway, Marika Corabete, a- Andy Muirhead, and Tom Wright. Uh, Mitch, can you start us off with
0: Andrew Kelleway? Why is he in the squad? He brings versatility. He can play fullback, he can play center, he can play wing, and he can do all of those quite consistently. So he's he's put himself in form by coming back and playing quite well for the last few weeks for the Rebels. And should there be an injury to a player like Tamua or Rhys Hodge, he has a little bit more experience than some of the younger guys. He's been around super rugby level for a few years now, and he's gone overseas and also got some experience over there. So he's probably been knocking on the Wallabies' doors for a little while, um, but there was a few other players that were really cemented in that back line that weren't giving him the game time. So, I think this is a good opportunity for him to get some game times, to get a few caps. Yeah. Rev, are you on the same form there? I mean, he he
1: did have a fantastic super AU season. Sorry, super rugby season before COVID hit. He was a top try yeah. scorer across the entire competition.
2: Yeah. I think he had something like eight tries in seven games or something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was really impressive how he started. And We've got to think back to 2016. It might have been where he went on that spring tour as a development player. I uh, never got a cap, but like he's, he's been involved in all of his squads before, and he's sort of just always been on the cusp. But I think now with a few players having gone, he's a, a perfect fit. And what sums it up better than anything really is the game against the Crusaders on the weekend. Um, the Crusaders demolished the Rebels, but Kellaway was that sort of bright light in defense. He chased down Will Jordan from a ridiculous distance to stop a you know pretty certain try. And then there was probably two or three occasions just on the wings where you could see someone's going to make a break and he just made this really last-ditch effort tackle. And it's something that's really underrated, I think, and probably could see him get a chance on the wing, just given uh, perhaps some of the defensive frailties of uh, a Gunu or someone like that. And I think what that leads us
1: to is a really good point here from Jason, that there's really not been anybody stepping up to take fullback jersey off Tom Banks. Uh, Campbell, because of the interchange with Hegarty, has been in and out of the starting team for the Reds, uh, who else would you really be picking? I mean, the Rebels have had, what? what's that English guy's name? Worth? um At yes. fullback for a couple of games. Um, they've had Pincus there for a bunch of games after uh, Hodge got injured. The Force have had Jake Strawn, um, Rob Carney. Like, they're just players who either, A, aren't Australian or, B, haven't mm-hmm. had the consistency of game time to actually get into the squad. So... Now that I think about it, the selection of Kellaway, who has some form within the competition previously, and I have no idea how he was going over in Japan. I'm assuming the Wallabies' uh, setup was actually watching him a lot closer than we were. So they've got a lot more evidence for it. But it makes sense if he's basically considered the backup 15 for the squad. Maybe we should have Uh selected Mark (laughs) Nwonganidawasi. And watched the place burn down. (laughs) 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 Oh, <laughs> uh, we shouldn't laugh about that. We love you, Marky Mark. It's good stuff. You're, you're a good man. Um, but let's keep on going. And what I wanted to do now is shift across to something that the Legends at Rugby fixation put out. So perhaps, Rev, you can uh, talk us through this a little bit more, what you did and why and what you learned.
2: Um, yeah, so this is something I put together off the back of AP Cronje, who did a piece similar for the Springbok squad. Um, And he was sort of talking about this idea patch that everyone has leading up to World Cups and Lions tours where you've got players that are sort of between 26 and 31 that have more than 30 caps. And that's sort of that sweet spot of experience where you're not um, the seasoned veteran that's on their last legs, but you're also not a fresh-faced player that's had no test experience. So um, for the Springboks, they've got 15 players currently in that, um, I guess, demographic, uh, whereas we've got eight people. Um, and some of them are sort of pushing the boundaries of the age. So obviously we look at players like Rhys Hodge, Alan Alalatoa, and Marika Corabetti right in the centre of that um, graph. They're sort of in that sweet spot of they're 26, 27, and 28 respectively, and they've all got between 30 and 50 caps. So they're you know sort of doing a nice job there of just showing the ideal um, kind of players you'd have coming into a World Cup, and obviously they're going to get a bit more experience. Then we've got a little group of players um, that's pretty much just Salakai Loto, Tupo, and I guess at a stretch, Tom Banks with 11 caps. Um, But Salakai Loto and Tupo, they're in that spot where they're a little bit younger, and by the World Cup, they'll be perfect. And then you've just got a cluster down the bottom. I've had to do so much rearranging to try and get them all in there. (laughs) But we can just see, um, you know, even with 39 players picked, two-thirds of them have less than 10 caps. And a lot of them are young, um, so it's fine because, you know, over the next two years, they might get somewhere between 15 and 25 um, test caps and They might become quite experienced. Um, But it it does show where the Wallabies are at the moment that I think all the results we get, you have to take with a grain of salt because we don't have an experienced team. Um, We don't even have an experienced squad. Like We can't pick from players that are really useful. Um, So there's going to be a lot of guesswork here. And I think that's why I called a question some of the players that have been included. When you look at a player like uh, Michael Wells and Andrew Muirhead, they're both 28 and uncapped. So even though they've got the age, don't have any of that test match experience. It's quite late to be developing someone. Whereas at least to lucky Tamani, he's right at the um, end of the age spectrum, but he's got 18 test caps. He's pretty established. He's been playing overseas. So I guess for me, I did this because I want to see which of these players at the bottom are going to be seen through to the Rugby World Cup. We've had so many players over the last five years that, I guess, sorry, seven years, that got a few caps in between the World Cup cycles but weren't used. And players that were overused but then never taken to the World Cup. So, Dave Rennie right now has a nice group to choose from. We just want to see him pick 23 players that he can stick with for a while and then another seven that fill up like the rest of the squad.
1: Mitch, does that change the way that you uh, think the Wallabies will perform when you actually see the lack of experience that we have within the squad overall?
0: I think there's some questions to still be answered around what squad actually comes out from France. Uh, if it's a full strength French side, we probably will struggle. But if they if what has been sort of spoken about in the media around potentially bringing second grade side and only only bringing their sort of finalists over for the third test for from the pro fourteen, then I think we might go, all right, uh, it it really is hard to tell, but there are some players there that have the ability to step up and to to play quite well on this stage. and we're not playing the All blacks. So, That's a big thing. If we were going up against the All Blacks, then I think that inexperience would be absolutely utilised. But I don't necessarily know if the French team is going to punish us as much, particularly if it's not a full-strength French side, as coming up against a team like the All Blacks or even South Africa would.
1: And that's one of the big challenges we have moving forward, isn't it? It's just the lack of experience comparatives to some of the other major players within World Rugby. So if, if the full French team was actually coming down, like you said, I think we'd be getting absolutely pumped. And that second test, if all the top 14 players such as Intermax and Duponts, actually do make it down, that's, that could get ugly. But but it also depends because the French team is freaking notoriously unreliable in terms of overseas performances. Yes, they're a different beast at home, but you never know how they're going to tour. And quite often, they're actually horrific when they tour. So it's going to... I, I really don't know how to predict this, and most of it is due to just the... French being French, and I won't go into any cultural stereotype there, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, cool. So why don't we now shift across into the uh, broader questions that we had from the locker room. So I'm going to jump through a few of these, and we might just go through this quick fire to wrap things up somewhat quickly. And yep. starting off with Nelson Dale, which current Aussie injury could prove most costly in a series
2: against France, Rev? Rev? Uh, The current injury that I think is the biggest issue is uh, Parisi. I think he was our most exciting attacking option in that 13 channel. And so uh, as I was looking on the Wallabies um, announcement of the squad, it got retweeted 36 times, uh, a lot of times by French people. And in about 80% of the retweets, they translated to mentioning Parisi in some form. So they were scared of him. I think that's going to be our biggest loss. Okay, cool. That's that's a good call on that one. Now, let's go
1: across to you, Mitch. Um, why don't we now move to some of the head-high conversations that have been going on around rugby <laughs> at the moment? Um, there's a great question that's coming here from Mick Ryan. Are those old guard folk who played down the necessity of the new head-high protocols a severe issue or one that we just dismiss as ramblings of the back-in-my-day generation? As a junior coach, you've seen 10-year-old cops uh 10-year-olds, cop seatbelt tackles, concussions, etc. I'm all for
0: the protocols. Yeah, definitely. I think we need to we need to be doing all we can to prevent concussions, particularly by younger players, and going hard at it at the top level is the best way to do that because it goes to show if you if these players are seeing um their their idols getting away with doing head shot tackles and and diving into rucks, shoulder first, and making contact with head, then they'll go out and do it on the weekend and and expect it to be the same. If they can see that their big their big favourite rugby players are getting red carded and yellow carded for doing those sort of things, then it makes them second guess their technique. And that's what we need because we need to start grooming this second this generation coming through that protecting the head is the most important thing for the longevity of the game and also the, the safety of the players as well. So yes,
1: I think it's good. Good, mate. Well, let's shift across now back to you, Rev, and we're gonna be hitting up a question from Man Bear Pig, who's a liquor box in our tipping competition. <laughs> question for the locker room Should we allow overseas players to be picked for the wallabies? Question has been asked plenty of times. And what are your thoughts, especially thinking of how younger players who sign long term
2: deals would feel if they missed out? I don't mind it as long as there's some sort of quota. I do agree with Rennie where he says that if we just open the doors to anyone um, in the same way South Africa or Argentina do, it's just a free-for-all and people are going to go to where there's more money. If they can still play for the Wallabies but get an extra $100,000 a year, uh, why wouldn't they? So I think there needs to be a cap. I kind of like the idea last year of just having two players because it does sort of um, provide an incentive for those players overseas. They need to be playing at the top of their game, which means if they get picked, they come over in great form or they need to realise, hey, I'm not as good as Skelton or Karevi or McMahon. I might just go back to Australia so that I can, you know, at least lay a claim there um, and hopefully, you know, work my way into the Wallabies. So overseas players is fine as long as it's capped. Yep.
1: Now, I might stick with you on this one, Rev. Uh, following up from Liquorbox, what's the biggest disappointment for the entire 2021 season? For him, it's the Reds failing to beat the Tars in a trial match. It ruined a perfect <laughs> season for the Tars.
2: His <laughs> uh, biggest disappointment just from any... Super Rugby thought. For me, I think it's not having the gap between Super Rugby AU and the Trans-Tasman. That still really lingers as just a really poor sort of thought um, and why it wasn't planned ahead in advance. There was no way that the teams like the Brumbies, Reds, Chiefs or Crusaders were going to come out as well as they did in the first round um, because of that quick turnaround. And for the Chiefs and Crusaders, it was a bit different, I guess, because the Crusaders had the Brumbies. That sort of cancelled out a little bit, but the Crusaders had the home advantage. And then for the Chiefs, like they got really quite lucky to get away with the force. But, you know, had they had an extra week to prepare, that's only a lot better for them if I'm, you know, laying claim to being a Chiefs fan. So I think just having an extra week in between just would have seen it become a lot more competitive and a lot more even because that first week just sort of wrote the Reds and the Brumbies off from the get go. Yep, I can understand that one. I think it's a really good call. Thanks for not
1: picking on the Waratahs end mate. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, now, Mitch Foster, let's head over to you, mate. And we've got a big question here from John Cooper that I might break down into some smaller component parts here. So, starting off with the first part, um, did we see any progress from the Aussie teams?
0: Yes and no. <laughs> we did see, I mean, the Reds got that, that victory against the Chiefs and then- the Brumbies got the victory against the Hurricanes, so we saw some improvement. A lot of that Reds' performance could be put down to the the cards that the, the Chiefs got, and the fact that they was pretty much out of the game by half time. Although they did come back quite quickly in the second, or uh, quite um, strongly in the second half. But overall, I wouldn't say we've done enough. It's been a disappointing year for Australian teams. There has been chances for us to get more victories and come close, and we haven't been able to nail it. So, I would say we're, we're not quite there yet. We, we started slow as a general. All Australian teams started slow and they slowly began to adapt as the season wore on. But I still wouldn't say that this last weekend of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman was the closest we saw. So, we haven't done enough to adjust quickly enough. Yep, fair enough.
1: Now, John Cooper also asked, he's heard rumours of some of the young fringe players from the East Coast teams heading over to the force. So that is John Bailey Kunzel, John Pasatoa, and Isaac Fiennes Lelewasa. So the, what is it, 9, 10, 12 backup access or third-level access for the Brummies are heading over to the force. I still haven't seen anything, like, properly official, but it was talked about in the commentary over the weekend. So it, it is official, but no one's just, like, put a post up or announced it properly. Um, so then the other question for you, Mitch, is should Aussie rugby teams have places in their teams for Pacific Island players that can't be poached for the Wallabies? I believe there are rules for foreign players that they can only stay in one team for two years. That rule should be waived, maybe four players max.
0: It's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, mm. I think it would. It's a difficult one because on the one hand, it would theoretically lift the talent in the Australian teams. And you look at a team like the Waratahs, we would do a lot better this year if we had some big um, barnstorming back rowers or second rowers from Pacific Island to really imp- increase the tempo. But on the other hand, you've got You then got two pl- Australian players who don't have the opportunity to play first grade because they're behind Pacific Island players. Um, to answer the question, what I personally think, I think we do it. I think it's a good idea. We bring them in. Two spots isn't enough to cancel out the opportunities for the Australian players. They'll still get chances in the squad. They'll be able to be rotated in throughout the season if we're, as Australian rugby, we're doing what we need to be doing by rotating players and giving everyone a good, sh- a fair um a fair go. But um and we we need to be doing more to increase the level of rugby played by the Pacific Island as well. There's some great players yeah. in the Pacific Islands who are getting poached by the European teams who are then be through residency laws going and playing for the European nations and not being able to play for their home Pacific Island nations. And if we can do something that allows them to stay in or close to the Pacific Islands and still pl- play their trade and play rugby and then be eligible for Tonga or Samoa or Fiji come uh, international season. It's a win-win for everyone.
1: Yep, I hear that. So I think that brings us to the end of the pod for, or the video for the stream. I don't even know what to call this thing anymore for tonight. Um, I have had a load of fun. Can I just quickly do a massive shout-out to Bastard Sheep, Chris Lamb, Jason Sherman, uh, Ruben Les Black as well, up the blues, let's go. Um, And who else? Uh, the there there some other people. <laughs> um, I thought he meant the Waratahs. By that one, the the, yeah, the Warriors obviously. Um, so (laughs) I, yeah, yeah, New South Wales Police, that's it. So. Can I just say thank you, everybody, for getting involved. This was the first time that we've done something like this, so I think it's gone okay. I don't think there's (laughs) been any major hitches. And uh, please tell us if there are. We are always welcome to take on board your feedback. Um, Mitch, thank you so much for being here as normal. Rev, one of our favourite guests to have on. Thank you so much for coming on board with this,
2: mate. Uh, Where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, Twitter is always the best way to do that. So at Rugby Fixation for the uh, podcast account or at Mitch Evans 94 I think I've just been tweeting nonstop about Wallabies since one thirty. So um, feel free to get in touch and have some conversations there. Um, always keen to chat and get into da- uh, data and stats. So love an argument. Get involved. Good, mate. Good. And that's what <laughs> Twitter's for, isn't it? That's definitely
1: what Twitter's for. Well, let's leave it there. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next weekend. Bye. Bye. See ya. Huge thank you to Rev for coming on the podcast tonight. It's just Mitch and myself now doing the final segment of the pod. We realized we haven't actually done a full review of the round of, or round five of Super Rugby Trans Tasman. And we wanted to give it a preview of the final, which is coming up this weekend between the Blues and the Highlanders as well. So we're going to be doing that now. It wasn't a particularly positive round for Australian teams. None from five yet again. What does that leave us? 18 and two? 18 and 2 is or oh, no, 25 and 23 and 2, I think, yeah. because five rounds. Yeah, yeah, 23 and 2. So it's not it wasn't good. Um, so what I think we'll do, Mitch, were there any big takeaways
0: from the matches throughout the week? Well, do we want to just really quickly run out? through the results? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. It? You got them up in front of you. No, let me get him up one second. So you just, you just feel just <laughs> I'll keep filthy.
1: going. So I'll just feel one of the players that really surprised me uh, in his performance this weekend was Andrew Kellaway. We already mentioned him earlier in the pod, but the impact that he had and the the demonstration of a player that has both tactical now, defensive ability, and just sheer speed to go along with it was really impressive and something that the force back three desperately needed with Reese Hodge being out. He's not a particularly express player. Anyway, Frank Lomani is just a converted number nine. Um, that worth guy. What's his name? George worth. Is that it? Yeah, um, who so. is, hasn't been that bad, but Tom Pinkers as well has been playing there. I just, they've been really out of sorts for a back three players. And so having him come back from Japan has been really, really positive for this final round. And I think he, Yeah, deserves his call up even if I was not expecting it at all. So Mitch, what were the results like for the uh, matches over the weekend? right.
0: so the first game on Friday saw the Hurricanes beat the Reds in Wellington 43-14 followed by the Brumbies getting trounced by the Highlanders 33-12. Then the Rebels did enough to secure or to knock the Crusaders out of a final. The Crusaders did come away with a fairly convincing win though, 52-26. Then the Blues beat the Western Force 31-21. Before the Waratahs got absolutely pounced by the Chiefs, forty to seven.
1: You know what's really dumb? The Chiefs played five games. Actually, no. Why don't we say the Crusaders played five, won five, still don't make the finals. That's just dumb. But what's Um, the?
0: There's. I've I've seen a lot of people commenting around this on social media. But what is the answer?
1: Oh, the answer is what the Australian teams need to be better. And not allow this situation to occur. Exactly, um, that's that's genuinely it. It's nothing to do with the competition format itself. Uh, maybe points should carry over from domestic season into the uh, Trans Tasman. That would be an interesting way to look at things. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any issue with the way things currently are, or at least how they panned out, except for the fact that the Australian sides have sucked.
0: I think there's a lot to talk about around what the ideal structure is for next year. And we will hopefully be doing another Royal Rumble soon with some of our other Australian rugby podcast friends. So look out for that. There will be a lot of talk going on around what we as individual podcasts would like to see as potential formats next year. So we'll get into that at a later date. Yep, agreed. Agreed. Okay, thoughts from the actual matches over the weekend. Mitch, I think you caught a few
1: more of the games than I did.
0: Yes, yeah, so I got to go out to two games in Sydney, the Super Saturday, which was great, Double doubleheader, uh, Rebels and the Crusaders at Leichhardt Oval before heading out to the Waratahs on f- later that night at Brookvale Oval. And yeah, it was good to get out to see some rugby. I thought the Rebels did quite well in that game. Obviously, they didn't come away with a victory, but they did well to push the Crusaders all the way through till the end and ultimately denied them the, the bonus, well the points difference that they needed to get into the final. So in some ways, Australian rugby has done enough just by denying the Crusaders a final's berth back-to-back in both competitions. So it's unusual to think that this Trans-Tasman competition will be won by a team that is not the Crusaders for the first time ever. Which is the first time. Well, like the first time this competition's ever been played, it's, it's not the Crusaders who are going to hold up the trophy at the end of it, which everyone would have assumed with the form going into this year. But I think the first thing we need to talk about, about this round is just the refereeing and the absolute fast that happened in Wellington on Friday night <laughs> against the Take Reds. us
1: through it, mate. You love a good referee, rant, so Let's go.
0: I just, there's been a lot of people talking on social media just around the inability of the referee to actually make the right calls in those decisions. And I think personally, some of the issues that the referee was having was around his communication and the way he actually approached the incidents that happened on the field. So the the yellow card to Gunu and the yellow card to Bryce Hegarty. He was very short with Liam Wright and was very forward in saying that he thought both of those acts were cynical, which I don't think he can prove. I don't yep. think the definition of cynical could be applied to those scenarios. So Gunu went down at a ruck, tackled a player, went to ground, was still on his knees when he made the next tackle. Fair enough, penalty. But I don't think you can say without a shadow of a doubt, with 100% certainty, that he was uh, intentionally acting illegally to stop a try that would have not been scored had he not made that tackle. And the fact that the referee just said, it's cynical, you're off, without any explanation, was just puzzling to me. And then the same thing with Bryce Hegarty. Bryce Hegarty is making as much of an effort as Lamapi to ground that ball in goal. He wasn't intentionally trying to slap it back. And it's only when you really slow the play down to play by play, second by second, that you can actually see that his hand does touch the ball. But because it is at that point 30, 40 centimetres off the ground in the air, that he doesn't actually ma- able to make it. He didn't swat it out. He wasn't hitting the ball up. He wasn't hitting it sideways. He was making every intention to ground that ball in goal. And the fact that the referee, again, said that it was cynical and it cost them a yellow card and a penalty try was just very, very confusing. Um, And if I was Liam Wright at the time, I'd be asking, I would be questioning his interpretation of the word cynical and that there was... Because the referee is essentially implying in that situation that the player has intentionally committed a foul to stop a try being scored. And I would argue that both of those scenarios didn't happen.
1: Yeah. And, but I mean, look, in Liam Wright's defense, the referee is given a card. Nothing's going to change with him. Oh, of course not. To get the ref not. more on offside. But I think there's a lot of justifiable issues there. Um, but the, the interesting thing. Oh, an interesting point is to look at Lockie Swinton's card. I don't think there's any issue at all really with that. Some people are saying that that type of thing shouldn't be a red card because the force is so minimal. Uh, but at the same time, it's a direct shoulder to the head in a situation where it wasn't required. So hes it's just dumb. That was just a dumb situation for him to put himself in and he kind of left the ref with no choice
0: in but, but to give that card. Again, though, we're going back to that the question of intent. And would you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that Lockie Swinton intentionally hit that player in the face with his shoulder? Doesn't it? No,
1: but in a high tackle framework, doesn't it not matter if he's intending to? If it's reckless, he's hit the guy with his shoulder yeah, on that, the head. So yeah. therefore, it's a red. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't think it matters.
0: But it comes down to yep. whether it was intentional or not. That might be a mitigating factor from a yellow card to a red card. In an instant instance where there's a player on the ground off his feet at the breakdown... Who's then giving a penalty away? Yeah, it, maybe
1: it, that'll be one for the judiciary at least. If they could argue that point, um, then it Dave, might mean that he gets away from. Dave yeah, Rennie I, I was saw Dave Rennie's quite comments,
0: yeah. quite um, calm about it, and he basically applauded Swinton for it when everyone else is going really. It was it was unnecessary, but I think one thing we need to look at and moving forward to next year to take away this discussion of bias within referees and home ground advantage and those things that are now coming out and just saying that there is maybe not intentional, but there is just bias there. If we're, who knows where we're going to be sitting as a world in 2022, but if we are playing a trans Tasman competition, that's home and away based, I think we need to have a rule that a referee can't be of the same nationality as the home team. We have enough referees in super rugby AU and New Zealand or in super rugby At this level, to have basically parity between New Zealand and Australia, if the Reds are playing at Brisbane against the Blues, it should be refereed by a New Zealand referee. If the Waratahs are playing the Crusaders at Christchurch, it should be refereed by an Australian. Uh, Did I say the right thing there? I'm not sure, but we get your point. (laughs) Yeah, so it should. It just you shouldn't be able to referee a game at home for a nation for your own nationality. That will then remove the inherent bias particularly when you have the fact that the broadcast team is already of that home nation. So they will start, you know, showing replays and those kind of things, which unfortunately we have seen now sways the decisions made. If you've got a referee that is not of that home nation. And it's, it was, it has been interesting to note this year that Damon Murphy is the only referee that I've noticed who has actually acted against the uh, officials warning from the TMO where there's been a few times where the team always says, you need to check this. And Dan is like, no, I don't agree with that. That's fine. Get rid of it. Let's keep playing. And yep. because there's yep. that difference there.
1: Yeah. How good. All right. Let's keep on going. Um, Let's shift on now into our actual predictions for the upcoming final.
0: So who do you think is going to take the chockies, mate? So the final is between the Blues and the Highlanders at Eden Park. And I can't see the Blues not winning at Eden Park a final. I think the Hurricanes will give them a red hot crack, but... The Highlanders, for me, are so dependent on Aaron Smith to spark a lot of their their uh, their work. Um, Aaron Smith and their winger, I can't remember his name off the top of my head now, number 11, uh, no. Nir- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having a mental blank as well, yeah, but I um, know the player you're thinking of. Yeah, both of those guys are electric and they can spark something from nothing, but I think the Blues have more ability to do that across their back line. And, and final at Eden park, the blues haven't been in a final for so long as same as the, uh, the Highlanders, but yeah, I can't go past the blues at home for this one. And I, am going to say the blues, but it's going to be tight. I'll say blues by 10. Yeah. Cool. Uh,
1: I think blues as well. I just want to see more from Hoskin Satutu. Um, he is just awesome. Um, and I've just been super happy and super impressed with the... Well, I guess, no, that's not the right thing to say. I think... I wanted the Blues to win um, the Super Rugby Aotearoa. I just like them comparative to the Crusaders. I'm kind of bored of the Crusaders just consistently being good. So... I <laughs> I want the uh, Blues to step up and actually win something after last year coming so close and then this year just not performing as well as they wanted to throughout the regular Altero season. Uh, so this is a chance for Silverware. Now that the Crusaders are out, their bogey team are gone. So uh, I'm going to be... Did you say by 10? I did. Yeah, I'll go five.
0: Oh, okay.
1: You heard yeah, it here. Tight. Tight Blues. as well.
0: Blues to take it out. Put-
1: blues to take it out um so i'm happy to leave things there mate anything you want to finish with
0: no thanks everyone for getting this far uh if you haven't we probably haven't said it earlier but if you're listening to this as a podcast we've actually done a live video as well so the first majority of this podcast around the wallaby squad was a live video that we filmed on a new platform it's available on facebook and twitter So, if you want to see what we're talking about and see our pretty faces, not just hear and listen to us, check us out on uh, on Facebook and maybe YouTube in the next few days as well. So, hit us up there.
1: That'll be fantastic. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for getting to this point. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.